The following sermon is from the Westminster Pulpit, extending the worship ministry of Westminster Presbyterian Church, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. We are a local congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format. son and I recently had a, a heart-to-heart conversation uh, about monsters under the bed. He told me that he was having a hard time falling asleep because he was uh, afraid that a monster was going to jump out and get him. So I, uh, I figured it was probably time for me to tell him that, uh, that I used to be afraid of monsters under the bed too. And I described to him my routine, which I still remember very distinctly. I would come into the room with the lights on, and I would go and close the closet door first, and then I would turn off the lights, and I would sort of measure uh, how far I thought a monster's arm most likely could reach from the bed, and I would take a running and flying leap into bed from just beyond that point and get under the covers. And somehow, once you're in the covers, you feel fairly safe. And so this this was my routine. Yeah, yeah. You think back now on being afraid of monsters under the bed, and it all seems a little bit ridiculous. Was I really afraid of monsters? But it seemed so real and so threatening at the time. The fact is that even if monsters don't seem very real to me anymore, there are a host of other things that seem very real to me. A host of other things that do seem threatening and do fill my heart with worry, with anxiety, with fear. And I'd guess there are things that press your heart with anxiety and fear as well. This morning we're finishing up a a brief series on psalms. Psalms that are God's words to us. God's words that speak to our hearts in situations, whether joys, sorrows, fears, hurts, pains, temptations. Psalms that speak to us in areas of our lives that we need to hear. And this morning I want to look together at Psalm 108. Psalm 108, as we consider what God has said to us in the midst of fear, worry, and anxiety. So if you would turn and read with me Psalm 108. My heart is steadfast, O God. I will sing and make melody with all my being. Awake, O harp and lyre, I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your steadfast love is great above the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth, that your beloved ones may be delivered. Give salvation by your right hand and answer me. God has promised in his holiness. With exaltation I will divide up Shechem and portion out the valley of Succoth. Gilead is mine. Manasseh is mine. Ephraim is my helmet, Judah is my scepter. Moab is my wash basin, upon Edom I cast my shoe, and over Philistia I shout in triumph. Who will bring me to the fortified city? Who will lead me to Edom? Have you not rejected us, O God? You do not go out, O God, with our armies. 
Oh, grant us help against the foe, for vain is the salvation of man. With God we shall do valiantly. It is he who will tread down our foes. God, this is your word. and We pray that you would speak to our hearts by your spirit now, for your sake. We pray this through Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Psalm 108 is actually a a unique psalm in that there is no original content in this psalm. Verses 1 through 5 are a direct quotation from Psalm 57, and verses 6 through 13 are taken straight from Psalm 60. Your Bible will almost certainly identify this psalm as a psalm of David, which it's true that the words certainly are are of David because both Psalm 57 and 60, where it's taken from, are psalms of David. But whether uh, David or probably more likely a later psalmist took these previous psalms and put them together in a new prayer for help, uh, we're not exactly sure. Either way, the result, though, is clear. The author of Psalm 108 found himself in a position of fear and need, most likely a military conflict with Edom where, where God's people seemed to be in a hard place. And the psalmist draws upon the promises of God and the words of God that he already knew in order to put them together into a new prayer to comfort his heart. If you think of words like stress, anxiety, worry, and fear, these words have become almost a daily part of our vocabulary. Studies tell us that stress is on the rise, that millennials are the most anxious generation on record, that close to 20% of the population of our country has a diagnosable anxiety disorder. But we don't have to have a diagnosable disorder to feel fear and anxiety. You know, a quick list of things that we're afraid of covers quite the spectrum. It includes needles, mice, the dark. It includes flying, bridges in small spaces. It includes diseases, cancer, and death. Worry constantly hangs around as we realize that we're not in control of things. We can't control the bad things that might happen. And so we're worried that something harmful might happen to our kids or to our spouse. We're worried because there are terrorists in the world. We're worried because our nation seems to be getting worse and worse. We're worried about our job because we can't read our boss or the market seems to be going in the wrong direction. Anxiety weighs us down because we don't see how our budget can possibly work out or how we're going to get everything done that we have to get done in the time that we have. I think you know the feeling. It's that feeling of the tightening in your chest, the thought that comes into your mind and then stays there and you can't get that thought out of your mind. It refuses to leave and you can't stop thinking about what's worrying you. It's that, it's that feeling that, that we have to do something but there's nothing we can do except wait for the hammer to fall, and we might as well keep worrying in the meantime. We know that we should turn to God. We know that we should pray. But somehow that doesn't seem to help. We're still scared. We're still hampered by anxiety, and these thoughts keep bombarding our minds. As one person said to me recently that I think many of us can identify with, he said, look, I know I'm supposed to pray, but praying isn't paying my bills. So what am I supposed to do? But worry. The author of Psalm 108 knows this feeling, and his response as he faces fear and worry is exactly what we need to hear in the face of our own fears and worries. 
Let's begin with verses 1 through 4. The psalmist, right off the bat, in line 1, makes an incredible statement. He says, My heart is steadfast, O God. And right from line 1, we realize that the psalmist has arrived where we want to be. We so desperately want to be in a place of a steadfast heart. A heart that's not panicking, not frantically running through a maze of worries, stresses, busyness, and anxiety. The psalmist apparently has found peace, security, and a confidence that's not hanging in the balance with what might happen in the next few hours, but is grounded on an unshakable foundation that will not change. What's more, the psalmist goes on to describe his steadfast heart, and we learn that his steadfast heart is not a heart that's sort of like gritting its teeth and just determined to bear it through all the horrible circumstances. The psalmist's steadfast heart is one who's breaking forth into singing, whose deepest experience is joy, praise, and thanksgiving, an emotion that can't help but burst forth. And his singing, he tells us, is so exuberant that he's going to awaken the dawn. You imagine the picture. Here he is before dawn has even come and the psalmist's joy is so deep that he's going to sing so loud that it's going to cause the sun to jump up. That's the depth of his joy. Maybe you know something of this feeling or can think about it. Usually maybe I think of hearing some exciting news and all you can do is jump up and down and scream. Maybe you think of getting engaged or I, I remember the first time my wife and I called my parents to tell them we were expecting our first child. And all you could hear was screams for for several seconds at least. You you know this. I try to to, uh, reserve this type of singing to when I'm in the car by myself so no one else has to endure it. I suppose you might uh, have some funny views of me if you drive past me at these moments. Uh, There's a a retired music professor. His name is uh, John Lennon. He's still alive. He was not a member of the Beatles. I mean, he argued that there's a type of singing that's actually not beautiful and it's not an art form at all, but it's part of our basic human need to express our deepest emotions. It's a perfect blend of sound, movement, as all energy combines in this emotional release, he says. That's the psalmist here. That's the psalmist here, whose steadfast heart, whose joy and thanks and praise to God is bursting forth into this singing that is going to awaken the dawn. How do we get there? How do we have a heart that's steadfast with a deep joy that's singing to awaken the dawn? Verse 4 gives us the answer. Verse 4 says, For, that means it's based on what just came before, For your steadfast love is great above the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. For the psalmist here, it's God's unfailing love for his people. It's God's steadfast faithfulness that reaches to the clouds. It's God's faithfulness to do what he says he will do and to be who he says he is that enables the psalmist to declare that his heart is steadfast. I want to pause for a minute to understand how deeply this can impact us because I wonder if maybe some of us are a bit disappointed. What? Something that can lead to a steadfast heart and get me through anxiety? Great! God is faithful? I've heard that a million times. I've sung Great is Thy Faithfulness 700 times in my life, and I'm still worried. So, honestly, psalmist, I was hoping for something a little better than that. Maybe we're thinking. But notice what the psalmist is saying. 
the vast majority of all of our fear, our worry, and our anxiety comes because we can't control what's going to happen. We have no idea, no way of knowing whether we're going to be okay. In fact, sometimes we're pretty sure we're not going to be okay. And so we worry, and we're afraid. But God is in control of what is going to happen. God is in control of every little thing that possibly could happen. And it's this God who's in control of everything whose love is steadfast for his people, who is faithful to keep every promise he has made to his people. And if his love for us is steadfast and his promises will come true, then this changes everything in the face of fear and worry. Not because bad things won't happen, but because the God who is in control steadfastly loves us through them. See, the psalmist's point is this. If God's love for his people is steadfast and his faithfulness reaches to the clouds, that's all I need to know to have a steadfast heart. Or perhaps we could say, if God's love for us is steadfast, then my heart can be steadfast. But maybe this still seems a bit vague. See, God has promised to be faithful, but faithful to what? You could imagine the psalmist here. Here he is in the camp of the Israelites with Edomites camped all around him, which seem to be a lot stronger than Israel's armies, and he wants to remember God's promises. But what are God's promises? Has God, has God come to him in the middle of the night and promised that he's going to win the battle? No. Because the psalmist tells us in verses 7 through 9 what promises God has made that he's relying on. You know, it would be great when we're in the face of worry and anxiety, if God would kind of come to us in, in the middle of the night and speak to us and say, you know, don't worry, you know, this isn't going to happen. But he doesn't usually do that. And even though God did do that sometimes in the Old Testament, he hasn't done it for the psalmist here. The psalmist is not relying on some special word from God that tells him things are going to be okay. The psalmist is going back in history to the promises God has made for his people. And those are the promises he's relying on. Look at seven through, verses 7 through 9. What has God promised? With exultation I will divide up Shechem and portion out the valley of Succoth. Well, there you go. That's comforting, right? Well, we have to know what that's saying. If you remember Jacob, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob was living with his uncle Laban. And God came to Jacob and told him to return to his land, to return to the promised land, the land of his father's. And God said, return to your land and I will be with you. And when Jacob returned, where did he settle? He settled in Succoth and then Shechem. And so the psalmist is remembering back to God's promise to Jacob. God's promise to be his God, to be with him, and to give him the promised land. Well, the psalmist goes on and remembers the promise where God said, Gilead is mine, Manasseh is mine, Ephraim, Judah, my helmet and my scepter. Gilead and Manasseh were key areas to the east of the Jordan River in God's land. And Ephraim and Judah were representative territories on the west of the Jordan River. So you could see the psalmist sort of casting his eyes over the whole of the nation of Israel, east and west, and remembering that God had said, this land is mine. These people are mine. But what's more, God's control, God's possession doesn't stop with Israel. Moab is his wash basin. He casts his shoe on Edom. And Philistia, he shouts in triumph. So here's the point. 
the promise that comforts the psalmist is not some specific promise that God's going to win the battle he's engaged in. The psalmist is taking comfort in what God has already promised about Israel and about Israel's place among the nations. The psalmist is taking comfort that no matter what happens in the battle he's engaged in, he knows he is part of God's faithful plan to fulfill this promise of his kingdom for his people. Now, sometimes God's promises seem too vague for us. And we think, well, we have a particular outcome we want. I don't want to get this disease. I do want to have enough money to cover this. I don't want this to happen to my child or my spouse. But God's promises never seem to guarantee what we want. Nowhere does God promise you will have this much money in your account. It never promises this will never happen to one of your children or your spouse. And so we say, well, sure, God's faithful to his promises, but he's not promising what I want. And how can I be confident in his love if all these bad things might happen? God's words to us sound hollow sometimes because we're still reading headlines. We still see car accidents happening. We still get sick. And so we say, well, it's great that God fulfills his promises, but he hasn't given me the promises that I want or that I need. But what comforts the psalmist here is not that God gave him the specific promise about this battle. What comforts him is that God has told him the end game. Gilead, Manasseh, Ephraim, Judah are mine. The surrounding nations are mine. I am in control and my people will triumph. If God is faithful to his promise in steadfast love, then the psalmist can rest secure, knowing that whatever path God may choose, whether that path includes suffering for him or not, he will bring about his promises to his people. And for us too, God has told us the end game. If you think ahead to the New Testament, when Jesus comes and addresses fear and worry, we find that Jesus has come to bring his glorious kingdom to his people. And we find that if we have faith in Christ, we will be part of the glorious kingdom of God. That we have an inheritance that will never perish, never fade. That we are secure in Christ. This is why Jesus brings things back to the kingdom of God when he talks about fear and worry. You remember that place where Jesus talks to his disciples about fear and worry. It could be Matthew or Luke. And it talks about how Jesus says he knows we may worry about food or clothing. He knows that we worry about these things. But Jesus says there are two things we need to know in the face of our worries. One, we need to know that our Heavenly Father knows we need them. And not only does our Heavenly Father know we need these things, but not a single hair can fall from our heads without our Father knowing it. Our Father is perfectly in control of all things. But second, second, Jesus reminds us the end game. Listen to what Jesus says, Luke 12, 32. He comes to the end of addressing fear and worry, and what does he say? He says, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you his kingdom. Why should we not fear? I might get sick. One of my children might get hurt. I might not have enough money. Fear not, God's children in Jesus Christ. Your Father is delighting to give you his entire kingdom. See, I'm not being trite at all when we look to the promise of God's kingdom. Yes, suffering is painful. And Scripture never says that we will be kept from painful circumstances. But it is not trite at all to say, yes, it's true. 
I may be diagnosed with cancer. Yes, it's true. I may have to sell my house or move into a smaller apartment because I don't have enough money. Yes, it's true. Our nation may continue to go further from God and get worse and worse. The economy might collapse. These are all truly suffering. They are hard. But we don't need to live in fear or worry of these things because in the face of all of these things, God still comes to us and says, Little flock, your Father is delighting right now to give you His whole kingdom. How can we be trembling in fear and worry when we have this promise of God's kingdom forever. And the God who has promised it to us is faithful to steadfastly love you and bring all of his promises to pass. See, God's promises are not comforting us by telling us that what we fear won't happen. God never comforts us by saying, yeah, the thing you don't want to happen, it'll never happen. Pain, suffering, it won't happen. God's promises do comfort us by reorienting our gaze to what really matters, to reorienting our gaze to what will never pass away. God's love for his people is steadfast. He has given us his kingdom. God has promised his care, his presence, his own kingdom to his people. That is true comfort that will not pass away. But I think as much as these truths are the foundation of what we need to hear, we haven't come to the part of this psalm that's most striking yet. See, if you think about many psalms that address fear and worry, most psalms go something like this. My heart was afraid. There were enemies around me. But then in the second part of the psalm, the psalmist says, Then God delivered me. And we say, oh, that's great. The psalmist can take comfort because God has delivered him. But I'm in the middle of sickness. I'm in the middle of pain and suffering, and I don't know if God's going to deliver me yet. So what should I do? But look at the psalmist here. He started out by saying his heart is steadfast and he's singing with joy, so everything must be great in his life right now, right? Wrong. Look at verse 11. Have you not rejected us, O God? You don't go out with our armies, O God. Help us. The psalmist, when his heart is steadfast, when he's singing with so much joy and depth of of praise to God, the psalmist is doing this in the middle of a camp, surrounded by Edomites, having no idea what's going to happen in the battle. The psalmist may be crouched in a bunker here, surrounded by Edomites, feeling like God has abandoned him, but in that situation, he can be calm. His heart can be steadfast. Because he can say, I don't know if I'm going to win this battle but I do know God's steadfast love. I do know his faithfulness. And that is enough to comfort our worry, even though we have no idea and no no idea what's going to happen in the next hours, days, or weeks. This past spring, I was facing some anxiety and worry. And the key turning point for my own heart in the face of anxiety and worry was in asking this question. If what I'm afraid of happens, if the worst thing I can imagine happens, do I believe that God is still faithful and will still be faithful to me, to what my wife, and my children? And the answer to that question is a resounding yes. I could die today, and I believe that God will be faithful to me, to my wife, and to my children. That's where the psalmist is. The Lord is steadfast in his love. The Lord is faithful to his promises. Well, in the face of fear, worry, and anxiety, these truths are incredibly practical. We hardly need to apply these truths. But I want to end by 
mentioning two brief applications from this psalm. First, we need to recognize where our anxiety comes from. In order for us to hear anything helpful in the face of our worries or our fear, we need to know where they come from. And so the key question for us this morning is this. Do our fears and our anxieties primarily come from the circumstances around us or from what might happen to us? Or do our fears and anxieties primarily come from our own heart and what we believe? Ultimately, our fear and anxiety has much less to do with the circumstances around us, much less to do with what might happen or is happening, and much more to do with what's in our own heart and our ability to trust in God. See, the problem is that we tend to spend our time staring at the dangers, threats, and fears, all the bad things that seem to be coming true, rather than staring at the faithful God who is with us. Ed Welch puts it this way. He said, regardless of the particular fear you have, fear always asks the same questions. Who will you trust? Where will you turn when you are afraid and anxious? He says, the story of Scripture is one in which God demonstrates himself to be trustworthy again and again and again, and then he invites wary people to trust him. Given such an attractive invitation, you would think that none could resist. And yet every single one of us has our reasons for why we still need to worry and why his promises just don't seem quite enough for me, so I better keep worrying about what might happen. See, we tend to live constantly like Peter. You remember when Peter stepped out of the boat into the water? And what did he do? He immediately started staring at the waves that were about to overwhelm him. And here he is panicking because the waves were lapping over his feet and then his knees and then his waist and he's about to drown and he's not even looking at the outhold hand of Jesus who is right there with him to save him and to, to comfort him. Here's the question. The question for your heart and my heart is in the face of what's happening in my life or in our nation, do I trust God? If I believe, and I mean really believe, in the moment of my anxiety that God knows this is happening, God loves me deeply, and that God is completely in control, that God is bringing me through this into his kingdom forever, then I have nothing to fear or to worry. My heart can be steadfast. Maybe, of a, maybe some of us resent the idea that anxiety and fear is a problem with our hearts. But the fact is, if anxiety and fear is ultimately a problem with our hearts, that is the most hopeful thing that you and I can hear this morning. Because if anxiety and fear are really about the circumstances of what's going on around us, we have no hope of, of ending fear and anxiety. It's just going to keep happening, and we can't control that. But if fear and anxiety is ultimately something that's going in our hearts, that is hopeful. Because God is a God who speaks to our hearts. God is a God who changes our hearts. God is a God who comes and gives hope to our hearts. To quote Ed Welch one more time, if, we f- if fear were just about a dangerous world, there would be little I could do. But if it's about me, maybe there is a way through. Because God meets me. So the first application in the face of worry and anxiety is to confess that our fears and worries are ultimately about our hearts and our struggle to be willing to trust a faithful God and to believe, really believe, God's promises, God's care, and God's kingdom that are ours in Christ. The second application is this. In the face of our anxieties, what God has told us about himself, God's word to us is enough in the face of every worry and anxiety we face. If God's word is enough, 
and God's word remains perfectly true, then this brings us right back to meditation that Dr. Light talked about two weeks ago. What will we fill our minds with when we're faced with worry and anxiety? I know what the typical pattern is like for me. I'm worried about something, so what do I do? I think about it. And the more I think about it, the more I get worried about it. And the more I get worried about it, the more I think about it. What am I doing? I'm meditating on my circumstances, my fear, and my worry. I, uh, I'm a bit of a, a hypochondriac myself at times, so I love the uh, story Jerome K. Jerome writes in his book, uh, The Three Men in a Boat. And he describes the main character who has hay fever, and he goes to the library and checks out a medical encyclopedia to figure out how to treat hay fever. And while he's there, he decides to start flipping through the pages of the medical encyclopedia and looking at the symptoms of all the other diseases in the encyclopedia. And he spends all afternoon, and every page he turns, every symptom he turns, he thinks back over his life and realizes to his horror that he's had those symptoms. And so hour after hour, he pages through the medical encyclopedia, and at the end of the day, he's sitting there frozen with horror, realizing he's had cholera, diphtheria, scarlet fever, typhoid fever, and he wonders, how can I be alive? So he tries to feel his pulse, but he can't find his pulse, so he realizes he's had a heart attack too. This is what our fear is like, isn't it? We just think more and more about our fears and spend our time meditating on what we're worried about. And it's no wonder that our anxiety overwhelms us. See, this is our natural response when we're afraid, but it's not the right response. The right response is to turn our minds to God who is faithful because God's steadfastness leads to a steadfast heart. And because our natural response, though, and our right response are at odds, this is not easy. Don't hear me saying, look, all we have to do is flip a little switch and start thinking about God and fear and worry are are gone. This is a battle. It is a battle every moment in the face of fear and anxiety to meditate on God and who He is and what He has said about Himself, not about what we see around us. Let me finish with author Paul Tripp. He summarizes it this way. He says, In this world of the unexpected, you and I are always living in the tension between who God is and what He has promised and the unexpected things that could be on your plate at any moment. In the intersection between promise and reality, you have to be very careful to guard your meditation. You have to be very disciplined when it comes to what you do with your mind. For many people, waiting becomes a chronicle of every weakening faith. Because waiting, we meditate on the circumstances and leaves us overawed by our circumstances. And while we meditate on our circumstances, they appear to grow larger and larger, and we feel smaller and smaller, and God gets more and more lost in the clouded vision of our circumstances. But if you meditate on the Lord, if you spend your time thinking upon the Lord, you will come to great awe of His presence, His power, His faithfulness, His grace. And the circumstance and situations will seem smaller and smaller, and God will seem bigger and bigger. And you will live with a greater confidence, even though nothing has changed in your circumstances. Our heart is steadfast because the love of our God is steadfast. Psalm 108 is so encouraging to me because the psalmist is in trouble. But in the midst of trouble, the promises and the person of the steadfast God are enough to hold his heart through it all. God's word is sufficient, he is trustworthy. 
if we will but turn from our wants and our fears to focus our hearts on him, to really believe who he is and what he says. God, we pray. We pray because we are in these situations. We know fear, worry, and anxiety. We have been there. We have felt it. And we know what a battle it is to meditate on the truths of God's word. It is so easy to turn our fears and worries over in our own mind, to let them roll and to be bigger and bigger. But God, you are greater than all. You are a faithful God, a steadfast God who is bringing your kingdom to your people. Oh God, may we never lose sight of your kingdom. May we never lose sight of your words. Fear not, little flock. It is my good pleasure to give you my kingdom. We pray that you would be with us in Christ's name. Amen.